Welcome to the Erie First Podcast, the weekly message series featuring Pastor Nicole Schreiber. Here's a question for you. What do a can of soda, a work boot, a no trespassing sign, and a chair have to do with your faith? Today, we're beginning a new series called Four Things. And each week, Pastor Nicole is going to use four seemingly random objects to help us better understand the New Testament book of Hebrews, and by extension, our faith in Jesus. It's going to be a fun series with a lot of real-world examples to help us better understand what God is doing in our lives. So let's begin our series and discover four things you need to know from Hebrews 10. Here's Pastor Nicole. I've been so excited to preach this new series. It's been cooking for a while, okay? Like a pot on the stove. And I finally get to start it today. Um, I called this series Four Things. And each week, I will have four things that are going to help us walk through some chapters in the book of Hebrews. Now, they are all very common objects. And my prayer is that when you see these objects in your everyday, ordinary life, that they begin to connect them uh, to God's holy word. So um, basically, I really want to mess your life up, okay? (laughs) So that every time you see things in your everyday, ordinary life, it reminds you of the word of God. And it reminds you of how Jesus is working. Now, let me just warn you, you may have to stretch with me on my analogies a little bit, okay? But I believe that um, as we talk about these things and how they connect to the word of God, my prayer is that it would make the word of God memorable to you. So this is the first week, and I brought my four things. I'm going to tell you what they are ahead of time, and then you can anticipate as we walk through. So first, I brought a can of Dr. Thunder. This is a knockoff of Dr. Pepper. Do you guys know this Dr. Thunder version? It's cheaper. That's why we purchase it. Okay. Um, I have my chair, per usual, but we're going to talk more about this in a minute. A steel-toed work boot. All right. It's used. It's a real one. There's actually mud on my table now uh, because of this one. And a sign that says no trespassing. All right, so these are the four things. Now, this whole series, like I said, is a study of Hebrews, chapters 10, 11, and 12. But I want to challenge you to read the entire book of Hebrews in the month of February. So as a church, together, I want us to feast on God's word. So before you leave today, ask someone to keep you accountable in reading that book this month. And you get an extra day because it's leap year. Come on. So you get 29 days or 27 after today or whatever that math is uh, for you to read the book of Hebrews. And I I think it's really going to be powerful for you. So make sure you put that on your devotional schedule. Um, As you saw today, we are encouraging everyone to get into a group as they start the new year. Um, I want you to know there is a brand new woman's small group um, studying Hebrews for eight weeks starting this coming Wednesday. So you might say, I love to read the word of God and I don't love to do it alone. I want you to know that there's a woman's group starting talking about Hebrews this coming Wednesday for eight weeks. So you can check out all the details in your group's booklet or find another group that works for you. Um, Lastly, at the end of the month, we will close this four thing series, uh, my favorite way, with a worship night. So February 25th, Sunday night, February 25th, uh, mark your calendar because we're going to gather here together, not just in the morning that day, but also in the evening um, to be able to do some extended worship together. Sound good? All right, so before I get started, turn to the person next to you and try to guess 
what one of these objects means in relationship to Hebrews. Go, just try to get, try to give it a good, get, make a stab at it. Give it a guess. What do you think one of them means? So our text in this series, uh, like I said, comes from the book of Hebrews, which is one of the most fascinating books of the New Testament. Um, this book of the Bible actually has carried a, a kind of special air of mystery um, even into um, the century you know, that, we're, that scholars are studying now. Uh, we don't know for certain who wrote this book. Many of the other books we know who wrote it. It was declared in the very beginning of the book, but we don't know who wrote this book. Um, scholars can't totally agree on a date that this particular book was written. And unlike uh, many of the other New Testament letters, we don't know where the recipients were living or what the circumstances were. Uh, you know, when we talk about like the, the book of Philippians, it was to the believers in Philippi. Okay, we know the city they're in. We know the believers. For this one, we don't know those things. But there is one fact that we can be sure about. And the fact is revealed in the very title of this New Testament book, uh, the epistle or the letter to the Hebrews. This book was written to Jews who had come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they were Hebrews by birth, but Christians by faith. So this book was written to Hebrews by birth, but Christians by faith. So I asked Pastor Andy if he would stick around to help us read the scripture today. Um, will you start by reading us from Hebrews 10, verse 1? The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Okay, so uh, Plato was a famous philosopher. How many of you ever heard of Plato? Okay, he was a famous philosopher that influenced generations of thinking. Plato was uh, born prior to the New Testament, okay? In fact, some people say Plato may have known Moses. We don't know for sure. But he taught uh, some famous things. And one of the famous allegories he taught from was something called the cave. So in this cave, Plato would describe a group of people who live chained to the wall of a cave all their life, uh, facing a blank wall. And the people would watch shadows projected on the wall from objects passing in front of a fire behind them and give names to those shadows. And the shadows are the prisoner's reality that these shadows are not, but these shadows were not accurate representations of the real world. The shadows only represented a fragment of reality. So for example, there's no way to know what a person's face looks like simply by his or her shadow. Right? You might be able to see how tall they are or how big they are, but you don't know what, what their face is. You cannot know how a person smells by their shadow. Am I right? Uh, you cannot know uh, what their attitude is. You can't know what their personality is. In fact, sometimes you see a shadow and you think it's something and it's something else. Okay? It is not an accurate representation of reality. And so the writer of Hebrews is probably utilizing this famous story that, that all the people knew of this cave to explain a spiritual truth in verse 1. This is what the writer says. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming. In the Old Testament, the people would bring animals uh, to the temple and they would sacrifice them. And they would do this repeatedly year after year. And this act would grant them forgiveness of sin and closeness to God. 
And the writer of Hebrews is telling us that those temple sacrifices were just a shadow of what was to come in Jesus Christ's death on the cross. That those temple sacrifices were just guideposts. They were pointing us to the ultimate truth that was to come later. Those temple sacrifices, all of those years, were just a knockoff of the real thing. They were just a shadow of what's real. They were foreshadowing that Jesus would die on a cross, the ultimate and perfect sacrifice. These temple sacrifices were a substitute for the real thing. That brings us to our first thing today. Dr. Thunder is delicious, but it isn't in no Dr. Pepper. Is there an amen in the room? I mean... Come on, it isn't Dr. Pepper. Is there, uh, Dr. Thunder is a knockoff version. It's a substitute. It's a shadow of something else. It tastes almost like Dr. Pepper, but you can still taste the difference. If you go to a party and there's Dr. Thunder in one cooler and Dr. Pepper in the other cooler, come on, you pick the Dr. Pepper, okay? I'm just speaking truth here today. You do not want the substitute if you can have the real thing. The temple sacrifices were the shadow, but Christ's death on the cross is the real thing. All right, some of you are like, she just compared temple sacrifices to Dr. Thunder. I don't know what kind of church I'm going to. Pastor Quint, come give this away to somebody that likes my illustration. All right, here you go. All right. <laughs> <laughs> you almost missed it. Sorry. All right. Don't throw it at anybody, though. All right. Let's take it from the top again. Uh, Pastor Andy, would you read to us from Hebrews 10, but now go all the way to verse 3. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they have not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Okay, so one thing that the writer is saying that was wrong with the Old Testament temple sacrifices is they had to be done over and over again every year. And that demonstrates that these sacrifices really were not dealing with the real problem. If I have to take my van back to the mechanic every week with the same problem, that's a pretty fair indication that the mechanic hasn't succeeded in fixing it, okay? If every single week I'm taking it back. Now, if it's a new problem, that's because we have 280,000 miles on it, but that's just a whole different conversation. But if it's the same problem, if I'm bringing it back over and over again, it's not being fixed. And so verse 2 tells us the temple sacrifices did not address the guilty consciences of the worshipers. And so these shadow sacrifices, these Dr. Thunder sacrifices, if you will, could never achieve the deep cleansing or healing that the blood of Jesus has achieved and can achieve. You see, temple sacrifices could not restore sinful human beings to a new condition. In fact, nothing can do this for us but the blood of Jesus. No relationship can fill the hole that Jesus is meant to fill. 
No substance can cover up the pain that only Jesus can take away. No amount of money can bring us contentment and security that only Jesus can bring us. Listen, no human therapy can heal us as completely as Jesus Christ can heal us. There is nothing more powerful. There is nothing more cleansing. There's nothing more healing. There's nothing more real than the blood of Jesus. And nothing, nothing has ever done and nothing will ever do what the blood of Jesus can do. And so in Hebrews 10 we read this passage, and then in verse 5 through 7, the author goes on and he references um, an Old Testament psalm, Psalm 40, in which uh, King David had authored it hundreds of years earlier. And then the author of Hebrews explains what David meant uh, when he wrote these verses of that psalm. So I want to pick up in verse 8. Uh, Pastor Andy, would you read to us verses 8 through 10? First he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you do not desire nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So again, these verses are highlighting that there's limitations in that sacrificial system of the Old Testament. And ultimately bringing us to this crescendo of verse 10, which says, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Uh, let's keep reading in verse 11. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. Mm. But when this priest has offered for all time, one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Okay, so here we see that Jesus is being referred to as the priest who offered the final sacrifice. So after Jesus dies on a cross for our sins, he's raised from the grave. And the scripture says in nearly 20 different places in the Bible, that then he is seated at the right hand of the Father. And here in Hebrews is one of the references Jesus sat down at the right hand of God. Okay, so my object number two is this chair. How many of you for work each week, you sit most of the time? Raise your hand if you're sit. You sit for your work most of the time. All right, how many of you would say, I don't ever sit? <laughs> like, you're a mom, you're a teacher, you're a construction worker, you don't ever sit. Okay, so what this scripture is saying right now, in that culture, most people, their labor was in a field or to build structures or farming. Most people stood to work and they sat only to rest. And so when Hebrews was written, sitting down meant, you had finished the work. You finished. It's time to rest. There's no more work to do that day. There's no more work to happen. You weren't beginning your work. You're done with it. It's time to rest. The work was finished. You want to know what else? There are detailed accounts of everything that's in the tabernacle in the Old Testament. It tells us. It tells us so detailed. There's an altar and it's got gold over here and hooks over here and all this stuff. You know what's not in the tabernacle? A chair. 
There's not a tabernacle in the chair. You know why? The priests never sat down because they had to repeatedly offer the sacrifices over and over. After Jesus died on the cross and Jesus rose from the grave, Jesus went to heaven and he sat down. Come on. He sat down. The scripture is very clear here. He didn't stand at the right hand of the Father. He didn't run at the right hand of the Father. He didn't dance at the right hand of the Father. Sorry, Pentecostals, he didn't do that. (laughs) He sat at the right hand of the Father. And you know why he sat down? Because the work was done. He had completed the work. No other sacrifice would ever be required again. He did it, and it's complete. And as believers in Jesus, this should be our ultimate assurance that it's not about anything you do. There's nothing left to do. You don't have to earn it. You won't ever deserve it. It's not about how many good things you do in your life. It's not about frantically trying to get God to like you. If you are a believer in Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection, and if you confess your sin and turn your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, you can rest in the fact that Jesus sat down. And that through Christ, he has accomplished everything you need. It is full and final. So we see in this passage that Pastor Andy just read, Jesus is sitting down. And then in verse 13, we also see uh, what Jesus is doing with his feet. It says, uh, but when the priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. You know, I think sometimes... When we think about Jesus being the ultimate sacrifice, we picture um, like a meek and mild lamb. Or we picture a man who was on the cross with very little strength, who was vulnerable and hurting and bleeding. And that did happen. But this scripture gives us an image that we can't forget that Jesus, oh, he is the perfect lamb. He died on a cross for our sin. But you know what else he is? A mighty lion. This verse reminds us that someday when God gives the green light, Jesus will tear the enemy to pieces. He will reign supreme. He will defeat all the evil in the world. Jesus is the lion and the lamb. He is multidimensional. And Jesus' enemies won't just be defeated. Verse 13 says, Jesus will put his feet over the top of his enemies and he will crush them. They will be totally subjected to him. It will be like the steel-toed boot that anything you put your foot down it is just so simply and completely crushed. Romans 16, 20 tells us this, that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And that's what thing three is, the steel-toed boot. It's been worn. It's been worked on. My brother-in-law told me not to smell it, okay? He said, you can use this, but I wouldn't like sniff it. Because it will crush anything under its feet. This reminds us Jesus will someday crush evil once and for all, and his enemies will be his footstool. Let's just give God some thanks and praise for that truth this morning. So the scripture talks about communion in the New Testament or the Lord's Supper as a means of remembering the sacrifice that has given for each of us as sinners. 
It's an opportunity to remember that Christ died on the cross, but then he rose again and he sat down at the right hand of the Father to make us completely whole and forgiven. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six 26 says, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So before I tell you about the last thing, I wanna pause here, I wanna take communion together right in the middle of, of our sermon today as a church family and actually ask my friend Carly to come up and help me. Carly, come on up here. So today we remember Hebrews 10, 14. We just read it. It says, for by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And if you are a believer in Jesus today, this is the moment that you remember the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross for you. In 1 Corinthians 11, it says this, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Church, take the bread. Verse 25 says, in the same way after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. So do this. And whenever you drink it in remembrance of me, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Church, take the juice. Let's pray together as Jesus prayed. It should be on the screen behind me in Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Will you pray it out loud with Carly and I this morning? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. Amen. Give Carly a thanks for helping me out. Before we go today, we have to look at this last object. You know, Hebrews 10 reminds us of the power and the blood of Jesus. And you may have heard uh, the term, or maybe you've been instructed at some point in your Christian life um, to plead the blood of Jesus over a situation. Not at me if you're like, yeah, I've heard that before, or I've prayed that before, I plead the blood of Jesus over a situation or circumstance. Well, William Seymour, a founding father of the Assemblies of God, was part of coining that phrase, actually, in our Christian movement. And he would plead the blood over the sick and they would be healed. He would plead the blood of Jesus and people would be filled with the Holy Spirit. He would plead the blood over buildings. He would plead the blood over families. Pleading the blood does not mean begging God to do something like we often think that word pleading means. It is not a statement of unbelief. It's not saying, uh, oh God, we just, please, we beg you, we beg you to do something about this. Pleading the blood activates what happened through the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. 
And so it's asking God to provide what Jesus' blood had already purchased. It's a statement of faith about what happened already. Okay, it's not asking God really to do something new. It's reminding us, it's a statement of faith of what has already happened to Jesus. And the practice of applying blood goes back to the Old Testament temple sacrifices that I was talking to you about in Hebrews 10, where every year the high priest applied the blood sacrifice of an unblemished lamb to cover the sins of the people. The Israelites in the book of Exodus, they applied blood uh, to their doorposts. They would put blood on their, their doorposts of their homes as protection against the plague. And in the scripture, God says, wherever I see the blood, I will not, the plague will not go. It was protection. You see, pleading the blood tells the devil that we're children of God. It's like putting up a no trespassing sign that says, listen, you can't come here. Mm -mm. Like you don't have authority here because where the blood of Jesus is, the enemy cannot go. And so every aspect of our lives needs to be covered in the blood. It's a counter agent to all that Satan tries to throw at us. He's afraid of the blood of Jesus. We're often afraid of the devil, like that's creepy. You know what the devil's afraid of? The blood of Jesus, okay? What the blood of Jesus has already accomplished. And the blood of Christ makes it possible for us to defeat the devil on every front. Revelation 12, 11 tells us this, and they have defeated him by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony. And so no matter the circumstances, disease, temptation, addiction, there's power in the blood to deliver. There's power in the blood to set us free. Listen, there's protection in the blood of Jesus. There is deliverance. There is forgiveness. There is cleansing. And this is how I want to end today. You got a card when you came in. It was kind of mysterious. It looked like this. It wasn't a mistake or a printing error. If you didn't get one of these um, that we have some down here, Pastor Quint, do you mind putting those right here on the corner in case someone didn't get them? They can come up and, and get it here at the end. The worship team's going to sing a song, a song I've been singing for a few months now. It just... It just gets me every time. And it's about pleading the blood of Jesus. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a moment and write down some things on this card that you want to plead the blood of Jesus over. If you've never given your life to Jesus, I wanna tell you something. You need to write your own name on this card. All this card needs to say is your name. And then you need to go to the prayer tables to my right and to my left before you leave today and talk to them about that decision. But if you've already given your life to Jesus, you might write your family on this card, your kids, your parents, your home, your job, your finances. Where do you need protection? Write that down. Where do you need deliverance? Where do you need the real deal and not the knockoff version of Jesus? Where do you need the power of God? Where do you need the cleansing of God? Where do you want the devil to stay out? Where do you want to declare there's no trespassing? Because the enemy cannot be where the blood of Jesus is. I want you to write down on your card 
the things that you want to plead the blood of Jesus over. And while the worship team sings this song as an act of faith, I'm going to ask you to bring that card to the altar and leave it here on the steps or right up here uh, on the on the platform. Listen, we're not going to post these anywhere. We're not going to share these anywhere. This is between you and Jesus. But this is an act of faith to say, you know what? I'm pleading the blood of Jesus. I'm setting up a no trespassing sign in my life over these things because I'm a child of God. So go ahead and do that now. Write on that card the things you want to plead the, the blood of Jesus over. And we're going to sing this song. I'll give you a minute just to write on that card. Listen, if you can't make it up here because of a, a health concern, you just hand it to the person next to you. They'd love to help you out. Or you wave it in the air and Usher will help you, okay? If you need one, come down and get it. In fact, TJ, we take a stack and just see if anyone raises their hand. Thank you so much. Father, I thank you that through your word in Hebrews 10, we see that your blood shed for us is the real deal. It has accomplished more than anything else will ever achieve. And so God, today, we plead the blood of Jesus over our families. We plead the blood of Jesus over this church. We plead the blood of Jesus over our community. We plead the blood of Jesus in our hard circumstances. God, we tell the enemy of God, no trespassing. We plead the blood of Jesus in our lives because we believe in its power and it is set apart that no other thing can do. God, we're trusting you today in a new way and we love you. And it's in your name we pray, amen. Here and now I draw boundaries me.
so God, we go from here with new confidence in what you've done for us. We're grateful for your word. We're grateful, God, that you can use ordinary things to remind us of the truths of who you are. And so, God, we walk into this week claiming the victory that's already ours through the blood of Jesus. And it's in your strong name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Erie First Podcast. We'd love it if you give us a rating and a review on your podcast app. And please subscribe so you never miss a message. You can follow Erie First on Facebook or Instagram or visit eriefirst.org for all our latest news, announcements, and information. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time.